Welcome to Pull the Pin Already Boot Camp Edition. I'm your host, Jim. With me, as usual, is Mike. And our special guest today is Brian. Hello. Mike. A little about one second late there, but yeah, that's good. That's good timing there for a first timer. How's it going, Brian? You doing all right, man? <laughs> yeah, good to see you, man. Haven't yeah, seen you since, uh, haven't Wait, seen right? since probably 2008. Wow, man. That means yeah. you had a blessed life. Well, we've been, one thing I wanted to talk to you about offline, of course, is that experience you had going to uh, Korea, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, when yeah. I was, yeah that, was, that seemed like <laughs> a wonderful experience. This is a great really segue. Was. It's a great segue to find out what he's been doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hey, Brian and I were in uh, Kuwait together for some time, and, uh, and then he left, I left, and we... You know, we just stayed in contact via social media. And, uh, yeah, tell us how a little did, bit about yourself. Yeah, how did this right? show turn into Mike? Mike, Mike, this is not your episode, I know, Mike. I don't I know, know what's I know, going on. I know, I know. He's the one that's supposed to like talking about himself, but I like to talk, so I'll talk for him. <laughs> Go ahead, Brian. Tell, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Well, um, you know, I was born and raised in Massachusetts and um, ended up taking a little trip through the army for three years. I did one enlistment. Uh, my MOS was at the time it was called 45 Bravo, which is a uh, small arms repairman. Now they call it a 91 Fox. Mm. And, um, that was back in 1996 to 99. So it was kind of right in between the Gulf war, the first Gulf war and nine 11. So it was basically all peacetime service. And then, mm. so I got out of the army and uh, I had done one year in Korea as part of that. And then, so I get out of the Army. I went to college at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. And I got mm -hmm. a degree, I got a bachelor's degree in political science. And uh, after that, you know, nothing really kind of came together. So I ended up um, going back doing my old MOS as a civilian contractor. And that started at Fort Lee, Virginia. Mm where I had been stationed before. And then from there, I learned about jobs in Iraq. So I went and did my MOS, old MOS in Iraq as a civilian contractor for KBR. And that was from 2005 to uh, 2009. Mm. There was a little bit of time in Kuwait in between there, which is where I went, met Mike. And uh, let's see, after the, after the contracting was over, I came home and I started working as a police officer. First with the federal government, I got hired to work on a small military installation in Massachusetts called Natick Labs, which is almost all civilian post. And then um, from there, I did the same job for the federal government in, at a VA hospital in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. While I was working there, I started working part-time as a municipal officer. And then two years ago, I transitioned fully to just doing municipal. So I spent about um, just shy of 10 years doing the federal government thing as a uniformed police officer uh, between the Army and the VA. And then as of two years ago, uh, I just went full-time municipal. So I'm working as a full-time municipal officer now, Wilkes-Barre Township, Pennsylvania. And yeah, that, that's a very quick summary. I met Mike, as I said, in uh, in Kuwait when we were both working for CSA. I was there for... Wow, I forgot about CSA. Wow. <laughs> it, 
sorry if I gave you a flashback with that. Yeah. Um, boy, what a rotten company that was the worst for. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was, uh, I think I was only there for about four months, maybe five. Mm. I, don't, I don't think I was there very long. And um, one of the few silver linings in that was meeting Mike and some of the conversations that we had and stuff. And 12 hours all night shift. All night. And then, <laughs> all night. I'll tell you, there weren't very many silver linings in that in that black cloud. <laughs> they, uh, that, that company was... Uh, well, you're talking about the company, not Mike, right? Shut up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. That whole employment experience was not not positive. But, no, I had some good conversations with Mike, a couple of funny stories, and, uh, <laughs> you know. And, um, now we talked about everything. We talked about um, both of our experiences and, and military mm-hmm. time and families and thoughts on, yep. a lot of thoughts on politics and current events and um, – you know, goddamn women and all their nonsense, <laughs> and uh, you know, so. <laughs> and, I'm uh, trying to hold it in, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, flashbacks. I'm sorry. <laughs> Mike didn't give you dating advice, did he? No. no. no uh, what I did was I I conveyed a lot of very deep misogynistic philosophy to Mike and no charge I gave it to him free, you know but I took him to school on uh, the fairer sex and uh, <laughs> I was a little I was a little misogynistic back then just a little <laughs> oh man uh, he's, he's bringing back memories man I mean we spent yeah some serious 12 hour shifts at night just talk, nothing was off limits, you know what I mean, and it was like a good conversation. Yeah, good conversation. I, we had we, contracting attracts some real characters, man. I mean, they were, <laughs> you know, I don't know if Jim, Jim, did you ever do any contracting? No, no, not not no. in the military like that. No, no. Well, mm. it's a funny mix of people because most, for the most part, they're all vets, but. They're not exactly the same cross section of people you get in the military. A lot of them, a lot of them were the ones that flunked out of the military before they retired, and it, you know, it really, <laughs> for lack of a better term, at least the what the some of the ones that I ran into, and you know, in particular, Kuwait was 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 tough because it didn't pay nearly what Iraq or Afghanistan paid. Right. And, um, that's because they have Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. Well, we had, we, we had that too in Iraq. I mean, I had pizza hut and subway and everything in Iraq. Oh, on, on the base on, right. Yeah. Oh yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, that, um, that was an interesting time, you know? Okay. So that's the quick so, thumbnail sketch. So where are you working right now? You say you're working on a base? No, no, no. Uh, no. So I had done that. I uh, when I finished contracting, I worked on a base. Then I worked okay. at the VA hospital. Oh yeah. And uh, now I'm just a municipal officer. I work for a township here okay. in Pennsylvania. So any affiliation, close contact with military vets at all, like the VA or anything like that? Not anymore. No? Um, oh, okay. I mean, I I spent six and a half years working as a police officer at a VA hospital. 
Okay. And that, you know, because they have their own police. Right, and, right. Uh, so I did that. But, no, I, I transitioned out of that a couple of years ago. Okay. So yeah. while you were doing that, what did you think about the military compared to when you were in to what you were seeing, even if you can compare it to today? You see a big change? If so, what do you think the biggest change is? I'll tell you, I, I don't know. Because um, I've been out of that world for so long. Mm -hmm. And even the even working at a VA for six and a half years like I did, um, you know, you get such a broad cross-section. And a lot of the people that go to the VA are older. They're substantially older even than I am. Mm -hmm. You get some of the younger guys, but... Um, so it's hard to say. I really have yeah. no insights into what the military is like right now. Mm. Um, so all I know is what I hear through the media filter. Right. Mike, Mike and I talk many times about the media. And <laughs> we never talked about the media here. <laughs> I mean, the negative influence and so the distortions and stuff. So it's really hard for me to say what it's like now. I, mm -hmm. see, stuff, I see stuff that, you know news stories and whatnot about all this woke stuff and, uh, you know, the gender stuff and all that crazy stuff that is out there in society is making its way into the military, too. Mm. I, I'm not part of it. I don't see it. I'll, like I said, all I see is just the news side of it, which is you, you can never trust that. But um, do you have a preferred gender or? <laughs> yes, I I identify as male. My pronouns are he him. In case you needed it, I guess. Just I asking. They, you know, I guess for some other people they would be something else. But I was born with an Audi, not an innie. So I okay, born. so like like you were saying, you were you're a municipal officer, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, Jim, if you only knew, man, he he could go for days on certain things. <laughs> I mean, what? What do you guys have any? I guess actually, Mike, you were doing contract in uh, a lot more recently than I was, so you yeah. probably saw more of it uh, as far as what the recent. I mean, I don't know. What do you? What do you think? Is it softer? Is it? What's the? What's the current generation like? Yeah, it's softer. It's a lot. Yeah. You're talking about the military, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think they're a lot softer, yeah. So it went from hard to soft? Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah, it went from hard to soft there, Jim. All yeah. right, just checking got to make sure I'm tracking. Yeah, you always got to throw that in there, right? But, yeah, I think it's a lot softer. But I always uh, say I remember when I first joined and um, I was talking to a lot of vets from the Vietnam era, and they were saying the same thing about us, Yeah. you know, in comparison to them. So I guess it's like, a natural order of, of things, you know, we're going to be softer that, a decade always, from now. Yeah. There's always that generation gap, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yep. no matter what. I had it harder than you and things like that. Yeah. I don't know how you, uh, there's certain things that nowadays I, I would think would be, uh, it's just part of the culture would change. Like I know that, um, like when I was in my last year of active duty in Korea, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the biggest struggle that people had was staying in touch with home, right? Mm. It was like just being able to call home. We had uh, three phones, wired phones, 
that mm -hmm. were landline type phones in the hallways in the barracks. Yeah. And we had some pay phones in phone booths outside. And you had to buy these calling cards to be able yep. to call home, prepaid calling cards uh, that you either got at the PX or you bought on the local economy. And uh, you could do either one. And then they had, as far as internet, they had like two computers at the post library. Yeah. You could go on email. Yeah. You got a half hour at a time to mm -hmm. be able to do that. And, you know, now I was stationed up in the second ID, which was up north. And I wasn't right on the DMZ, but it was north of Seoul. We knew that other installations in Korea had internet and uh, more accessibility to phones. So we always complained about that. But that's how it was in 98, you know. Mm -hmm. I, went back, I went back to Korea in 2002 as a college student and spent a semester there as a civilian with no affiliation with the military. And the big change that I noticed in between 98 and 2002 was cell phones. Mm. But everybody had a cell phone on a local yeah. economy, and everybody had internet. I mean, there was no issue with getting on the internet. And it was like a night and day change just from 98 to 2002 yeah. in terms of staying in touch with home. I mean, you know, it, it wasn't when I was back in the military, it wasn't quite the Stone Age, but it was like still the era of writing letters and cards and postcards. You know? mm -hmm. And then, so now you fast forward to today and I don't know how the, the young generation today is so connected with devices and stuff. I mean, you just have to wonder what it's like for guys going through basic training and stuff. Because back when we went through basic training, you might get, you know, a half hour at the end of the day to stand in line to get on a phone, right? Yeah. Nowadays, I'm guessing they do they even take those devices away from these recruits when they show up. Yes, they do. Now, I can only speak from my daughter. She joined the military and uh, she's in the army, and they took they took the cell phone. Really? And, yeah, and then I think uh, week six or seven on the weekend they'll give it back to you, but then they take it back. She said, "What's weird is they'll take your cell phone, but allow you to have a tablet." Oh, I thought they gave you an Obama phone. No, Instead. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, letting you have a tablet, that, that sounds like prison. Yeah. Tablet program, you know? Yeah, yeah. but with all, the, with all the apps out there, they can still communicate with home. Sure. You know? Sure, sure, yeah, sure. so it's weird. Oh, they, gotta, they can keep up with their TikTok. They just can't call their family. Right, right. Unless you find that one particular app. Hmm. Which she did. What's app? Good. What yeah, app is good. that? That's a good one. Yeah. That's a <laughs> oh, good one. Yeah. So, Brian, let me ask you, uh, so what do you think about the state of America today? That's a broad question. I mean... Got <laughs> <laughs> to keep you talking, baby. <laughs> Man, that's a broad question. Um... I mean, you can take it, uh, you can take it anywhere you want. Just keep it on one topic or, you know, just cross over to another topic. It doesn't matter. Hmm. Tricky, tricky. Um, well, I mean, I feel fortunate to be an American. I feel fortunate to live in this country. I mm. think a lot of times people are, are, are negative and stuff, but I still don't think there's any better country that you could live in or want to live in. That's why so many other people around the world aspire to come here. So in the one sense, before I get to say anything about politics or anything negative, mm -hmm. I, think, I think it's a great country and you know i've been to 
quite a few other countries, and right. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. Now, having said that, I think obviously we live in a time of great polarization, and uh, we live in a time when politics is a team sport, and people are it's just so divided over every single thing. And mm. it's been said before many, many times that there's two Americas and exactly how you want to divide that. You know, there's a lot of lines along which you can divide yeah. that, but there really does seem to be in many ways, two different Americas. There's an America where, um, people sort of love the country. They're patriotic. They enjoy their life. They enjoy working and, living with their families and being successful and having some sort of traditional values and stuff mm -hmm. going to church on Sunday and all that. And there's an America where, um, certain other ideas are in vogue. Like we touched on earlier, you got the, mm -hmm. the woke stuff or what in the past was called political correctness. Um, you, you got people who live a city life or an urbanized life where their basic needs are kind of met. Then you have people that live a rural life where things are a little more rough and tumble and there's physical labor and you have to uh, be a little more independent. I mean, there's so many different ways in which there are two Americas, yeah, so to speak. Um, Some people would even say, you could say it's probably three, and it, depending on the topic, you can say it's like uh, multiple divisions in America. Yeah, sure. You know, you know, so, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. It, it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic you know I heard somebody recently say that uh, that that um, you you actually need both and, and he was talking mm. he was referring specifically to the, the, the left and the right the liberal and conservative and stuff he said uh, that, that actually they function together and, and, and you can't really have one without the other I, I don't know yeah. what I think about that. But in a lot of ways, this country has always been, uh, I don't know the right word for it, but in a lot of ways, I think this country has always had a lot of dynamism and a lot of, uh, a lot of things propelling it forward in a way that ethnically, racially, economically mm -hmm. homogenous societies don't have. I mean, we've always been a kind of a cauldron of, of, uh, different forces at play that, that move the country forward in a different way. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'll tell you this, I, I am more optimistic in some ways about the country now than I would have been a year ago. Cause I think last year was a really lousy year in a lot of ways, mm. um, between, you know, the rioting and stuff that went on and, um, you know, although, this whole COVID thing, too, was mm -hmm. going on at the same time. So if you would ask me that question, and it is a rather broad question. If yeah, you ask, absolutely. If you would ask me that question a year ago, I probably would have uh, had a substantially darker answer uh, <laughs> than I do now. But look, this, this country is what it is. It, it has a strong history. It's always going to have a strong future. And... You know, I guess that's my take on it generally. Uh, you know, we're not going anywhere. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. I always say it's the best country. And I think if uh, 
I mean, we have our issues. You know, that, that I don't say that to, to mean that we don't have any issues. We're a perfect uh, country, but we have our issues. But when I go to different countries, I'm like, uh, we're doing pretty good. <laughs> well, that's right. And I'll tell you, you know, people talk about um, some of the in- what, what people consider to be the intractable problems in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, to me this country gives you opportunities in ways that no other country does. And um, so, you know, for example, uh, people talk about racism or they talk about a lack of generational wealth or they talk about um, the, the income gap or the wealth gap in this country and different things. And that's, you know, some of those things may have validity, but the United States is probably the one place where regardless of the circumstance you're born into, you have a range of choices available to you. Mm. Regardless where you stand on the continuum, so mm. continuum at birth, there's a range of choices available to you. Whether you start high or low, there's a lot of countries in the world, and I know Mike knows this because he's been to some of them, mm-hmm. where that is not true. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, if you're born poor or you're born to the wrong group, uh, or with the wrong name in, uh, you know, some third world country in, in some place. I'm not going to name names, but, you know, if you're born with a low station in life, you're not going to move. Yeah. The, United, the United States is one place where, through a combination of your own talent and ability and work ethic and education and discipline and maybe a little bit of luck, uh, you have an opportunity to actually move on the socioeconomic ladder. And that to me is one of the defining characteristics of the American experience. You know what I mean? There's so many critics that want to say, I can't do this. I can't do that. I wasn't born in the right place. I don't have the right name. I wasn't born the right race and this and that, you know, the system keeps me down or uh, I don't have generational wealth. I didn't inherit anything. Um, you know, Oh, Oh, the system is against me because I'm this gender or I'm this sexuality or I'm this or I'm that. The reality is you, if you put your mind to it and you have a little bit of talent in this country, you can go almost anywhere you want to go. You know, Let, so, let's be real. There's so many examples of all of those that have made it. Well, sure. I mean, there's so many examples out there. Like you can be uh, RuPaul. I mean, you know who that is, right? Sure. Like, who would have ever thought this would be a rich person in America? Yeah. So th- there's really no excuse people people can actually stand behind anymore because someone in their class or category has done it. Mm. I think a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of people claim that, that their particular issue or their particular identity, and it, see, inevitably the conversation winds down to identity <laughs> politics, as it always does. <laughs> But, uh, you know, a lot of people claim that their particular issue, whether it's gender, sexuality, race, ethnicity, you know, uh, income, whatever it is, it, it, that's the thing that's holding them back. It's, it's the system or it's the broader society that's holding them back. But the reality is um, it's, a, it's a feature of human nature um, that into the place where you're born, there you are most likely to stay. Right. Human beings are 
very prone to inertia. So, you know, you get habituated to living in a particular economic class, living in a particular geographic location. Most people tend to stay there. And it's not because of any invisible force like racism or sexism or or um, capitalism or anything that's forcing you to be there. It's not any external thing. It's that it's a feature of human nature. And I always say to people, um, I guess uh, to make it a little bit personal, a number of years ago, I came to a realization that the vast majority of things in my own life that had ever held me back came from me. And I made some stupid decisions and counterproductive decisions that uh, limited me professionally, personally, financially. And it wasn't until I got older and got close to 40 years old that I started realizing every time I did something foolish that was self-defeating, it came from me. It wasn't anybody else around me that did any of that stuff. It came from me. And I think that's the case with most people that, um, you know, when put it this way i don't feel that there are as many external barriers to success and happiness as people tend to say there are in america and and our whole political social dialogue has become uh revolves around the different causes that or, or problems or issues or identity things that that people want to blame for their lack of happiness or their lack of success in this country they want to blame other people or they want to blame identity issues when in reality the things that can, and this is true, I don't care who you are, the things that control where you go in life are mostly under your control. And the things that are outside your control that influence where your life goes, they're a tiny minority of the things that actually, so if, if uh, let's say 90% of, of um, 90% of what influences where your life goes are the decisions you make. Your choices matter, right? So, and, and these are everyday choices, like where you choose to live, what level of education you choose to attain, what level of debt you choose to take on attaining that education, how many kids you choose to have and when you choose to start having them, at what age. Probably the most important, uh, probably the most influential thing, who you choose for a life partner. You know, your personal choices around uh, drug and alcohol use, your personal choices around your finances, um, all of these decisions have a vastly bigger impact on where your life goes than whether somebody likes you or dislikes you because of your race or your sexuality or, or your gender or any of those other things. So you're, it's the choices you make have a much, much more influence over your life than the, than the things that are external to you. And I think yeah. that's one oh. of the major things that we miss with all this identity politics stuff that we constantly obsess about in this country that, you know, is somebody maybe going to deny you a job opportunity because they don't like the color of your skin or your religion or your sexuality or something at some point? Maybe. But again, I think those are going to be the things that are, are a very limited part of your life. I don't think that... Uh, they make up a small portion of, of what influences where you go in life. But I think, not to be repetitive, but in this country, your choices matter. If you optimize your choices and make good ones, you can do well in this country. 
if you make lousy choices, even if they're the easy choices, you know, if you grow up in a bad neighborhood where there's a lot of crime, the easy choice is to become part of that life of crime and stay right where you are. Okay, but it's a choice. So the, the, the choices you make have a huge impact on where you go in, in this country. I think much more so than, than other places around the world. If you're born poor or to the wrong caste in a particular society, mm -hmm. there is no social mobility, period. No matter what you do to try to improve your situation in life, you're not going anywhere, which is why so many people from, from those parts of the world want to come here as immigrants. Yep. So, um, you know, a lot of people have a lot of bad things to say or a lot of, you know, criticisms and stuff about this country. And one thing that we've always done in this country is kind of obsess about our, our problems and our faults and stuff. And uh, that, that always goes on. That's a permanent condition, no matter what, what time or era or, or, or whether there's Republicans in charge or Democrats in charge. This country is always stewing about, uh, about its problems. But we have it pretty good, I think, in, in this country. That that's my view. Mm. Yeah, I was going to share something because uh, I think one of the obstacles is victimhood has payoffs too. Yeah, because if you can be a victim, you don't have to achieve. You don't have to take the blame. I mean, there's so many payoffs just to being a victim that it is the easy way. Mm. So it's very hard to overcome being that victim because you know I personally lived through it when I, when my wife passed away. I sat around like, oh, woe is me, woe is me. I played the victim for a couple of years thinking it was other people's job to come console me and get me off my feet. Wrong answer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but those yep. payoffs kept me there. Sure. I mean, that, that was probably the biggest realization. And it took me until very late in life to come to it, was that everything you have in your life comes from within. Yeah. It really does. Not to say that some people don't have circumstances beyond their control that affect them. I mean, for example, having your spouse pass away, or there are people that, uh, you know, they lose everything to a house fire or a tornado or a flood. Or they're minding their own business, driving home one night, and some drunk plows into them and mm -hmm. or something right. like I mean, those things happen. But by and large, I think the vast majority of what influences the direction of people's lives comes from them. Right. And some people are better equipped to make those decisions in a good way than others, but... <laughs> It, you talk, it, you talk about well, circumstances. Look at like Hunter Biden. I mean, the man was silver spoon handed, and he still can't handle it. I mean, it's the Biden. truth. He yeah. can't handle it. Such yeah. a good conversation. Now he just took it there. Yeah. No, but it's an example on the other side, the other yeah. spectrum. There's something to that. I mean, and look, and it's not just him. I mean, it, look at how many celebrities, or or other wealthy people, they attain great things in their life, and they live a life that other people aspire to. And they can't keep it straight. Look at how right. many, uh, you know, child child actors there are, musicians, different people. They have all this attention and adoration and fame and wealth that gets showered on them, and their lives are a mess. Mm. You know. Yeah. Mike's uh, a Justin but, Bieber fan, so he can tell you all about that. <laughs> oh, no, what I was gonna say was, damn, I can't stand that. But <laughs> him and the Kardashians. Oh, Lord. Oh, but uh, what I was going to say, I always uh, I heard this from a talk show host years ago, and I, I desperately tried to prove him wrong. He said, we are where we are because of the decisions that we made. 10,000%. And I said, nope, that ain't true because, but. 
I'm gonna come back to that. Yep. And ever since then, I've been saying it. Yeah. I mean yeah. that right. That right there is actually about as succinct a way to say what I've been blathering about for the last right. few minutes. Is that you know, yeah, it, that you are where you are because of the things that you've chosen to do or not chosen to do. Right. Yeah. And I think that that gets lost in the dialogue in this country far too often. Now, well, I will say what I appreciate about this is that we can admit that there are victims, like Jim just alluded to, right? And um, we can admit that, but still we have to make a decision. Are we going to stay there? Right. Or are we yeah. going to, you know. Well, good point. Yeah, Mike, yeah. I don't want to diminish the fact that you can still be a victim of a yeah. crime, but yeah. you can also be accountable to that crime too. You yeah. can say, hey, I went out today and, and showed up this store and I got robbed. Right. I went out and showed up. So I did in some way create that. Now that well, doesn't you, mean yeah, you, yeah, you yeah, created yeah. somebody I mean, robbing you, right. You use, you use crime as the example. You can you can inject yes. anything in there. Anything. A victim is a victim, let's say. And uh whatever it is, I always say, Okay, but okay, now, like now what are you doing? Right. You know? Yes. Sooner yeah. or later we have to get over it and keep moving, keep moving. And right. I, I think that's what I was taught. Because I saw where I would end up if I didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I was taught that at a young age, very young. You know, well, when I, I was 11, my closest friend was like 25. So, wow. Yeah. And I just learned a lot. And it's funny, you know, um, we, we've gotten to a point where the, the social discourse in this country has so many little grievance groups that love their particular victimhood, that now you see some of these things starting to compete with each other. So <laughs> I, there is nothing I find funnier than when these woke types end up trying to have each other for lunch. So you see the, uh, the feminists now are upset about the transgenders. Because <laughs> now you've got, the, you've got the feminists who are supposed to be for women trying to say, wait a minute, men cannot be women. Right, right. But you've got the transgenders and the LGBTQ alphabet soup trying to say, oh, but they can. A man can be a woman, and that's not a problem. Right. And, now you ha- and you see it in sports. We just had it with the Olympics and the yep. whole uh, thing. So you see this where you have feminism basically came about as a grievance group, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. trying to object to the way women were treated. So there were certain critiques of society they didn't like. And then, but you have this other constituency that's part of the whole woke PC universe that's saying, "Oh, well, hold on a second now." And now you're starting to encroach on our little, our little thing. You know, mm. you don't get to be a victim in our space. We're the victim. Right, right, right. Competing victimhoods. It's like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and even even you find some people who don't even have the victim complaint taking sides with someone for them, even though nobody asked them to, just to become the victim for them. Yeah. It's crazy. I think a lot of people, uh, (laughs) you know, there's an interesting theory of of mental illness that goes back, and it was from an old book I read. And um, one of the theories was that basically life is difficult for everybody, no matter who you are, and that people have to deal with that difficulty psychologically, you know, in, in their own way and survive it. And one of the roots of mental illness is when people can't handle the real difficulty of life, that they start creating invented struggles 
that they can cope with, right? So, mm. and, and this particular theory was, was more serious mental illness, like even schizophrenia and bipolar and all that. Now, I'm no psychologist. I don't know if there's any credibility to that particular theory about mental illness. But even it applied to like neuroses and psychoses and stuff that those things are created by the mind to, to give people struggles that they can deal with because they can't really handle day-to-day life, real life, okay? Right, Mike, Mike and, knows. Which one were you diagnosed with? <laughs> See what I got to deal with. <laughs> no, but the, the, the reason I bring that up is that, in a way, you, you see some of these things, and, and I often have the thought that that's kind of what people are doing with some of their own pet grievances when they complain about things, whether it's... Um, you know, you listen to some people prattle on about this, like the sexuality and gender stuff. It, they talk in language that I don't even understand, like it, the, especially the younger generation that have developed this whole vocabulary around this stuff. I listen to some of this and, and I'm sitting there going, this person is creating all of this to escape from just having to confront life. They're creating this whole drama within themselves to not confront the fact that they're not doing shit with their life, you know? Mm. And actually, I'm sure you, you both know people like that in your own life. You know, we, we knew people like that, I'm sure, in the military. People that were just a constant screw-up, and they're, like, thinking that, well, the system's against me, or the first sergeant doesn't like me, or they've, you know, they've got it out for me, or this and that. And it's like, just get out of your own way. You know what I mean? Just, you know, stop screwing up. Um... I see a lot of that. I think people's, a lot of people's struggles are purely self-imposed and, and really purely invented, I think, because it's easier than having to, to go out there in the world and put themselves out there and either succeed or fail on their own merits. They'd rather yeah. have, have this own, their own little um, self-invented struggle mm. with, with purely imagined oppression that, that, that some people are legitimately oppressed. I'm not going to take away from that, but I think a whole lot of what goes on in the in the social discourse right now is is stuff people get so carried away going down a rabbit hole of of uh, it really it takes on the, the look or the feel of of neurosis in a mm. lot of cases. I think I don't know how we got down that track, but <laughs> that's what you call a good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's bring it back into the. <laughs> So, hey, let me ask you this, Brian. Uh, did you contract COVID at all? <laughs> I did not. Uh, oh, okay. Never never did. I, I guess I knew a few people who did. Um, and uh, I got the vaccine. I, I got mine fairly early because being a police officer, it was yeah. made available to first responders fairly mm. early on in the process. So, I got mine in January. And, wow. Um, I was not particularly afraid of COVID. What I reason I wanted to get the vaccine was I, I wanted to be able to get back to traveling and right. going overseas and stuff again for, you know, just taking vacations. And mm-hmm. uh, I figured the sooner that we get vaccinated and stuff, the sooner those opportunities would, would open up. So that's why I wanted to do it. Um, I can tell you that uh, the first dose, I got the Pfizer. The yeah. First, the first dose really didn't do anything to me. Not, not too much. After that second dose, man, that hit me like a freight train. I was down <laughs> for two or three days. I mean, wow, that's the longest I've heard. So, so then you got the COVID. 
Well, yeah, I mean... You either got it in a vaccine or you got it in a virus. Uh, it was uh, quite the experience. And, um, you know, I never in my life had uh, heart palpitations or any anything like that until, mm. until I got that vaccine. You know, wow. which is odd. I mean, you know, and it was after, actually about a week after the first dose. I was feeling oh. perfectly fine and uh, sitting at a computer working one night. And all of a sudden, my heart feels like it's going to leap out of my chest. It's pounding, mm. right? So we called the medics over from the other side of the building. They came over and threw me on a monitor. And they go, oh, yeah, you see these little, uh, you know, little irregular heartbeats? They're, uh, those are called PVCs. And uh, I think it was like premature ventricular contractions or something, which mm. is different from premature ejaculation. I've suffered from that. A lot different. But, uh, a lot different. Oh, my goodness. There's no shot for that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, That's no, a shot in itself. <laughs> I got these little uh, these little irregular heartbeats, and they told me they're like, "Oh, people get these. They're harmless. They don't mean there's anything wrong with you. You know, they don't cause your problem. Don't worry about them." And you know that actually happened several times. I don't get them anymore because it's been, I guess it's been like seven months now. Mm. I think, but honest, I really think that had something to do with that vaccine. I don't. Did you guys? Oh, okay. Do no, I haven't. But my father Neither died what? a week and a half after his shot. Get out of here. Can't say it was related. We can't say it because we don't know. But mm. it was Did very odd a week well, and a half. First of all, I'm sorry you lost your dad, man. That's terrible. Um, but then did he have any other health complications? Or? Yeah, yeah, he was definitely. Well, he, we, we didn't think he was ready to go for sure. But he wasn't in great health. He wasn't like, you know, an athlete mm. or anything even remotely close. So, mm. but uh, yeah, we didn't we didn't expect it. And uh yeah, wow. no idea. He he ended up getting really sick and had diarrhea, and then he ended up uh, boom collapsing on the floor, and he was still awake and conscious. And next thing you know, two hours later, he's gone. Wow! Wow! Yeah. And I got a shot record, and he told me he just got it. You know, I saw it, so I, I was like, so the COVID might not have killed him, but it definitely made him sick. Yeah. Oh. And then he probably dehydrated or something in relation to that, maybe blood clots, something I don't know. Mm. But. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's wow. not a statistic we'll ever find out. Right. No. I think there's they'll find out over time that there's a little more side effect to it than than what we've been told initially. Yeah. Well, you'll tell us in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I remember being in the Army in Korea in 98, and that was when they came out and, and declared that every active duty serviceman had to have the friggin' anthrax vaccine. Yeah. And I didn't want that damn thing. Nobody wanted that <laughs> because we figured we're a bunch of guinea pigs and they're giving us some stuff here that, you know, nobody wanted. And yep. I, had, I think it was a six, six shot series. And uh, I got the first three and then I got out, you know, my enlistment ended, but nobody wanted that. I didn't want it. Yeah. But <laughs> you know, nope. I don't know. You know, they're not responsible. <laughs> no, of course not. Never. Well, it's, yeah. an interesting, it's an interesting question now because the military, I think, has a, uh, a bit of a conundrum on their hands because this, this uh, COVID vaccine does not have full FDA approval yet. It's only, right. it's only provisional. Can By their they, definition, they, it can't. Right. They can't, can you mandate it for these, you know? I don't know. They still projecting by mid-September it's going to come down. It's going to be mandated for military. 
Yeah. Yeah. Sad. Well, I could see that turning into potentially one of these things like, you know, Agent Orange or uh, yeah. you know, Burn Pits or yeah. you know, any of the, or, you know, Gulf War Syndrome or all these things that, that the VA is having to deal with for years. I could see that mm. being the next one then if they mandate this thing before it's fully FDA approved, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Who knows? All right, Jim. We want to give him the opportunity to pull the pin here because we didn't inform him. Oh, we didn't even tell him about that. Wow, we suck. Yeah, Yeah. terrible. Yeah, but we only got like four minutes, then we got to do another one with him about the, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Mike likes to talk business on the shows. (laughs) But we normally, what we do at the end of our episodes, if you haven't seen any, we just pick something random. It doesn't have to be anything we talked about, just anything random. Uh, Mike likes to talk about a lot of things in the bathroom. Um, but we'll pull the pin on something. That's always highbrow stuff, yeah. (laughs) So we give you the opportunity at the end of this episode to pull the pin on something you just think needs to go away or stop or something. Hmm. Anything you want. Oh, this is that that king for a day uh, question. Uh, Yeah, you can say that, yeah. (laughs) It could be related. Yeah. I'm going to have to really ponder this one. Uh, you got three and a half minutes. <laughs> mm. Anything at all that I just, just sort of don't like. Oh, my God. You can put oh. it in a pit, pull the pin, drop the grenade, and it's gone. Mm. Boy, that's uh, there's so many ways, directions you could take that, huh? Oh, I know you can. <laughs> <laughs> what do I want to hate on today? Yeah. Um, mm. Cover your ears, boys and girls. It's about to go down. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, No pressure. You might have actually made me speechless here. Wow. It's, uh, yeah, a little overwhelmed with the variety of Come on, how about army socks? Something. You got to have something, you know? (laughs) Army socks, they're green. They're a little rough. They don't make good, happy socks. Like, come on. I'll tell you what. Not that I'm not selecting that at this point, but I will make a comment on those socks. Um, yeah, I found out by joining the army that I'm allergic to wool. Really? So yeah. So when I showed up to reception at Fort Jackson in 1996, they issued me those damn wool socks and uh, wool blankets for the bed. Too. Yeah. So I, four nights into being in reception, everything from the knee down on me looked looked like I had poison ivy. Wow. And and I woke up, I don't know, half a dozen times that night with nosebleeds, just blood running out of my nose from breathing in those, like the fibers mm. and stuff from that blanket. Yeah. Never knew I was allergic to wool until I made it to Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And uh, wow. for the rest of the time that I was there, I had to sleep in my sleeping bag on top of my uh, bed to keep me off that yeah. blankets. Cause, yeah. Crazy stuff. So. So we're going to pull the pin on wool blankets because you've used there up all go. your time. Yeah. <laughs> so you got out of this one. That is all the time yeah. we have for this episode. Brian, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for having me. We Absolutely. appreciate you. And until next time, Godspeed. Hey, and pull the pin.